welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. Gosh, it was 10 years ago, uh, before the 2010 Winter Olympics, that Kalen Chithluk Sifsov first messaged me and said, you know, I think I want to come out before the Olympic Games. She's from Alaska. The Games are being held in Vancouver, uh, right down the street, so to speak, from, from where she grew up. Family was going to be there, and she wanted to do it totally publicly out. She ended up deciding not to do that. But four years later, in Sochi, with all the conversations about LGBTQ athletes and LGBTQ rights, uh, queer visibility in, in Russia, Callan decided to come out then. Uh, finally caught up with her for my podcast. We talk about all of that. We talk about what she's up to today, her coaching, uh, working on a boat in San Francisco Bay, and also the issues surrounding racism. She is Indigenous Alaskan, is literally the first Indigenous Alaskan to ever represent the United States in the Olympic Games. So it was wonderful to finally catch up with Callan 10 years later. Uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Callan, thank you for taking time away from, well, that's not time away from your sailboat. You're on your sailboat right now. What are you looking at from your sailboat right now as we talk? Oh, man, I'm, I'm looking at the halyards blowing against the masts of the bay, um, the, the uh, San Francisco Bay here. And it's, I was just, you know, every day living on this boat has been um, truly like a California dream, just so cliche, um, but it's been so much fun. Uh, and so, yeah, right now I'm looking at the Bay Bridge. I'm looking at uh, pretty much, yeah, beautiful, gorgeous California day right now. Growing <laughs> up in Alaska, is is this where you saw yourself at this point in your life? No, I, I never really, I didn't not see myself here. Um, I kind of always have liked sailboats from afar. Um, and I grew up in a place in Alaska where people uh, commercial fish for, for a living. So when I grew up, uh, we were on boats, you know, every single summer. Um, and so I'm really familiar with, with the boating world. And I also currently work um, on, on uh, commercial boats here in the San Francisco Bay. But so anyway, I've, I've always loved sailboats. I don't know anything about sailing, but hopefully in the next uh, weeks I'll learn, learn how to sail. <laughs> how, how does someone get from, and when we're talking about small town Alaska, where you grew up, we're talking about really small, right? Yeah, it's it's a really small town, like uh, 200 people, I think, is the population of Aleknagik. Um And uh, it's a native allotment system. So basically, I grew up with my whole family on one stretch of road, basically. And then, um, yeah, very, very rural community, kind of like no other in the world, honestly. And um, it was a little bit of a fluke, the way that I that I ended up being a professional snowboarder. But it also is similarly pretty natural because um, in that part of the of Alaska there is a pretty flat stretch along the coast and then 
right where I'm, I grew up, there's a, a little patch of mountains. And, um, and so when I was little, my brother was into snowboarding. Um, and, uh, I think he had mail order snowboard videos that he would, that he would, uh, get from catalogs and he always had subscriptions to snowboard catalogs. And, and so because he was so into it, I, I, uh, that was all I knew from an early age was, um, snowboarding with him. So I started when I was seven and then, um, my family, everyone kind of gets around on, on snow machine in that area, um, in the wintertime. So we would go kind of collectively as a family to mountains. Um, and my parents would kind of drive us up the mountain and then we'd hike the remaining portion to the peak and then they'd, they'd pick us up. So, um, in that part of the world, it's a, it's a lot different and kind of recreate, or some people do, you recreate on your everyday basis. So um, I was really fortunate to grow up in that area. And then uh, because, because I spent so much time snowboarding, it ended up being, I developed a lot of good fundamentals. Um, and it's kind of weird because most people start on ski resorts, but I started, um, you know, hiking up and down uh, in what people call the backcountry. Um, so, so for me, that was like a, a real nice edge that I didn't really know that I had. Um, in How snowboarding. did you get from there to the, 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 literally the top of, of the world in your sport? You know, other people, they're discovered by a coach or um, like you said, they're at a ski resort and they get recognized. How did that happen with you literally driving up and hiking up a mountain and just uh, going down? Yeah, yeah. Well, so it kind of begun with my mom's decision to, to move me out of out of the, so in Alaska, you call the rural area the bush, basically, is where we're from. And so my mom decided uh, there was a few different things happening, like education um, in the state was was being underfunded, I think, that year. Um, and so they'd cut sports programs, they'd cut like all extracurriculars and art programs from school. And it's pretty limited uh, as far as public schools and what they offer in that area in the first place. So um, my mom wanted to get me out of the, the village and kind of expose me to a little better education um, and opportunities. And so her and I moved to a uh, ski resort just outside of Anchorage um, called Girdwood, and the ski resort is called Alaska Ski Resort. Um, and so she picked that because it was within proximity to Anchorage in the urban area, but it wasn't, um, you know, the shock value of moving to a big city. So it was a small town. Um, and she knew that I, I loved snowboarding. So um, my brother, um, yeah, I, I think she she just kind of thought, well, this would be a good good place um, because it's where where I had a hobby, and so um, right away it was just amazing to live there. Um, and rather than hiking up mountains every day, like like I did in the village, I had a, a chairlift. So for me, that kind of changed my snowboarding. I did I didn't necessarily have intentions to be a pro snowboarder in that particular moment. Um, when I was like 13, 14, and if anything, the opposite, my, uh, my, I think there was like a few competitions going on 
at the resort when I first got there and my mom asked if I wanted to to compete and I said no um and then the following year a bunch of my friends did and so I I kind of was like well sure I'll try it um but yeah as far as moving to the ski resort it was just blew my world to be able to make endless runs all day without hiking (laughs) must be a bit of a culture shock you mean wait a second my mom doesn't have to drive me up the mountain and I don't have to get be exhausted by the time I get there from hiking the rest of the way yeah exactly just and then you can get some food up there in the lodge (laughs) but uh but yeah it was just great I had a, a really wonderful um experience uh, being in middle school and the, the public school there had a a ski program so you could ski every Thursday as a group with your school um, and it was just the perfect place to cultivate you know if it where where I'd kind of spent my younger years learning the basics of snowboarding then at the ski resort I kind of maybe developed a little bit more of a mature and competitive type of snowboarding um, and then when I when I entered one of the local competitions, um, you have an opportunity pretty easily to qualify for a national competition. And so I, I qualified for that. And, uh, and I'm lucky enough to have a mom that, you know, paid for a lift ticket and um, seasons pass every year. And then, you know, when I had the opportunity to do that, most, most parents, and I definitely witnessed my fellow friends, their parents said no, that they, you know, it's too much money to go to the nationals and, and probably didn't think their kid was going to, you know, go that far. So for me, I was just really lucky. It it was something that I loved and my mom fully backed it. And when I got the national spot, she, she paid for me to go. And uh, I ended up doing really well pretty, pretty immediately um, when I was like 14, 15. And then when I was 16, I was invited, I think I had just turned 16, but I was invited to be on the national, uh, U.S. national snowboard team. So, yeah. As you're going through this journey in snowboard, uh, I assume that you are also learning more about yourself and, and your sexual orientation. What was that yeah. like as you're progressing through the sport? Oh man, I've I've definitely always been that kind of textbook tomboy when I was little. So my sexuality for me, there's so many identities that I have, um, and it's hard to cling to any one of them because they all equally equate to who I am. But but yeah, so being it's it's so interesting for me to think about them because they kind of intersect. And um, but yeah, as far as my sexuality, I've always known that I that I was that I was gay, and I knew that pretty early on. Um, I can't really put my finger on it, but I just, I mean, I always wanted to look like my brother, and, and uh, yeah, just full tomboy, and then um, I think at one point through snowboarding, I, I was pretty focused on on snowboarding and activities, and, um, and so through middle school and high school, I just kind of didn't really have, you know, anything that I was aware of other than my sports and, and activities. Um, and then I don't know when it was exactly what, but, oh yeah, I had, I had a girlfriend when I was, um, 18 and she, her name was Simona and she was on the, the Swiss snowboard team. 
And so that was my first um, kind of real realization. I, I'd always known I was some sort of a tomboy and absolutely knew that I wasn't, I didn't have crushes on, on, on men or boys. And, um, and so when I had that first uh, relationship with a woman, I, I just kind of, yeah, I, it was something I'd al- already known pretty concretely, but didn't quite assess. That makes sense. How, how was it dating somebody on another country's team that you were competing against? Oh man, for me it was great because uh, honestly, I beat her all the time. She probably wouldn't like to hear that, but but for me, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was really good. I it I was a little nervous that it would be hard to compete against her, but um, but you know, in the end, it's kind of the fun thing about snowboarding, and I I can't say for other sports, but. Um, it's it's sort of a lifestyle sport as much as it is a competitive sport. And so um, at the end of the day, with your fellow competitors, all of them across the board, you share this mutual kind of love of the, of, of the day and the weather and the sport and, and the good times that we all share. So for me, uh, it just was great. It was a, a really nice thing to have a partner um, on tour that shared the same kind of lifestyle that I did. So. So I, I had no, uh, yeah. And it was probably easy because I usually came out ahead in races. So <laughs> That definitely helps. You've, yeah. you've competed in multiple World Cups, X Games, and you've competed in multiple Olympics. And I'm wondering, the fir- first Olympics, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you competed in was 2010 in Vancouver. Is that right? Yeah. So that was my first Olympics. Exactly, yeah. Oh, and I, I would add actually one thing about about uh, you know just my experience dating the, the Swiss snowboarder was uh, for me actually we I think we both uh, helped each other in training often, and I would go to to Switzerland um, during the off season and, and train with them in South Face Switzerland, and uh, was lucky enough to have them invite me on those trips. And then, um, but yeah, I think actually having a relationship with a fellow competitor was, was really good for my snowboarding anyway. <laughs> I guess when, it, when, when it's suddenly in the family, you, you talk about it more, you share tips more and yeah, you want to beat the other one, but you also want the other one to succeed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. How was it growing up in Alaska and having your first Olympic games being right there in Vancouver did, was that extra special for you? Was were family and friends able to come see you compete? Yeah, having the Olympics in Vancouver was a was a blessing because my nearly my entire family was able to come, and then I also had a a pretty hefty group of friends that that ended up making it down, and it was for most of the people that arrived, it was a complete surprise for me. So um, it definitely added to the magic of the of the experience to have people share that with me so yeah makes me makes me tear up because it's I think most people don't have the opportunity and and us in North America we're super lucky to to have the game so close to home so your your second Olympic Games was 2014 and that's what I want to kind of focus a bit on because uh, as most of our listeners are aware it was in Sochi about six months before the government of Russia said it was cracking down on the expression of homosexuality. And I know that uh, Australian snowboarder Bill Brockoff uh, 
came out publicly the summer before. And I'm curious, as you're leading up to the Olympics and you see all this conversation about this topic, how are you feeling going into that Olympic Games? Yeah, well, I think uh, I think the decision to to come out publicly kind of coincided with my own politics at the time. I've I've always been a really political, politically involved person since since I was younger, and um, and then I think typically before I came out that year, um, I've lent my voice and my platform to kind of um, to nonprofits and organizations that try to um, increase opportunity for ma- marginalized groups and people of color. Um, so I typically, in addition to snowboarding, it's, it never quite has been enough to just focus on snowboarding. And, and for me, there's so many more important things in the world. And sports is, is extremely important to me, but it's always been a kind of a venue for me to live my my uh, my regular life, the sports and my engagement with sports is a constant. And so, but I also feel the need to constantly engage, you know, in, in the, the real world. Um, and I'm lucky enough to have gotten the opportunity to be a professional athlete. And, and so um, for me, it's always just been important to use a platform if you, if you have it and you're lucky enough to have a voice. People heading into that Olympic Games, was this conversation about these issues, was it a distraction to you? Was it a motivator to you? Or was it just kind of bubbling in the background? No, it definitely, I've, I've always faced, like, I, I usually try to keep a stiff upper lip when it comes to talking. Well, traditionally, I think right now, our world has opened up enough where there's conversations that we can have now that you definitely as a young adult, it didn't feel like I could have 10 years ago. And uh, so for me, my sexuality has always been, I've I've definitely faced a lot of um, discrimination for it. Absolutely. Not to the highest degree that I've heard of some people experiencing, but I've definitely experienced it. Like living in Salt Lake city, Utah was really difficult as, as someone that is obviously not a feminine woman and in a place where it's, it's really important kind of aesthetically to be feminine and a a homemaker in that, that culture of that state. And, um, and so there, there were a lot of weird things that happened while I was living there. Like there were uh, firecrackers thrown at one of my girlfriends and I, as we were holding hands, um, another friend of mine in Salt Lake, uh, was working at the local grocery store and a group of teenagers uh, bought a, a carton of eggs, a couple cartons of eggs from him and then waited for him outside. He's a very kind of feminine presenting man and um, waited for him outside. This is just a block away from my house and right where I got thrown firecrackers at. But uh, And then the kids waited for him and then threw eggs at him and, and screamed homophobic slurs. And so these are things that I'm sure everybody, you know, as a lesbian woman or or a gay woman or a queer woman, if you, you know, there's so many instances where not so much anymore, but if you're seen kissing your partner, you know, it becomes a sexual, sexualized moment for other people. And so, you know, just as a, as a queer person, I've definitely experienced so many different forms of 
of um, discrimination for sure. I've also um, felt comfortable enough to kind of stand for what I believe. And so um, I usually downplay, you know, that kind of thing uh, to my friends, but, but on a platform I have no problem talking about these things but um but yeah anyway the catalyst I guess long story short the catalyst for for speaking out at Sochi was was just the fact of my lived experience um and you know experiencing all kinds of different things from being sexualized as a gay woman um by men and it's just one of those things it's I guess it's hard to answer that question because um, if there's such a glaringly obvious conflict in my life where my, for me, my sexuality and then my job, which is a professional athlete, um, it's hard to just keep quiet about that and not speak to the issue. And for me, it, it um, just completely, I'm not able to participate if I don't understand the system and what I'm a part of. So, Anyway, that was a long answer, but <laughs> you hear about these kinds of things in and around Salt Lake City today. I'm sorry, say that again. Do, do you, you you described a couple of pretty heinous incidents uh, with you and a friend of yours in and around Salt Lake City? Do you hear about those kinds of things happening today? I actually don't. Um, there was a period of time, I think, when when there was so much going on with. Um, with the legalization of marriage and Salt Lake being a pretty central place for that fight. I, I don't know, but I think that that might've contributed to the, for me, what felt like a rise in aggression towards, towards uh, homosexual and queer people and trans people in, in Utah. But um, obviously I think that's kind of always there um, and people are aware of those kind of, um, things, but I don't. For me, I have not experienced any kind of negativity towards my sexuality in in um, a very long time. I can't even quantify it because I don't. I don't remember the last time I've faced a negative encounter. This I think the firecracker incident would probably be the last time. <laughs> that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, here in Los Angeles, and this was 20 years ago, but I had uh, eggs thrown at me on the sidewalk and I had, uh, I was called slurs by people driving by. I haven't seen that personally in a long, long, long time, but yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's not fun when that happens. No. Well, for me, you know, what's funny about talking about like, you know, the shifts culturally is for me, race is kind of a glaringly big issue I've always had to face. And then gender has always been a secondary thing. And I've always kind of enjoyed keeping up with the men and enjoyed, you know, whatever kind of stigmas I had as a child and, and, and being athletic and keeping up with my brother. Um, those were things that were fun for me. And so my, my, one of the bigger issues in my life has been my experience with being a person of color and especially in the all white uh, industry and world with skiing and snowboarding. And for me, I just think it's related in this particular, when we're talking about cultural shifts and um, for me, it's important to constantly keep discussions relevant. Um, And it's a, it, it, 
for race, it's extremely important, especially we can see what's happening now. Like I, I can count 10 different people that have a different narrative on race than they did last year um, that I know, like white, white people um, that have a different way of discussing race, a different language that they're using. Um, and it's really positive for me and it makes me feel really good um, as a person of color to have more recognition of these issues. However, you know, it can be one of those things that you have to continue to push and talk about because people, um, people need pressure in order to continue. Um, and, you know, it, for me, it kind of is interesting to think of people shifting so quickly in a year um, and then thinking of the opposite happening. All of the progress can easily be undone if, if we don't continue to push. So for, for relating that to queer and uh, LGBT Q issues, that's exactly the same, in my opinion, as, um, you know, for every, even though it might feel safe right now to be, to be queer, you know, it's more important than ever to be vigilant and aware of our rights, to vote, to, to also um, have communication with other, uh, other um, groups and people working towards civil rights and equality and uh, continuing to push the envelope, and we can see that it's more important than ever. You talk about being the, the rare person of color and a lily white sport. Uh, you are also the very first indigenous Alaskan to represent the United States in the Olympics. It, it's beyond uh, just your sport. It's, it's representing all of the United States in, in what is the pinnacle of sports. How has that racism shown up to you it's kind of an all you know just like i think with most um queer lgbtq people when you ask okay have you ever experienced discrimination because of your sexuality it's kind of and then to quantify that is hard because it's kind of nuanced for some people all the time and and kind of all around you for a lot of people but for me the issue of race is just always and everywhere um for me and we live in a in a country that that we it's founded on white supremacy and it certainly has never in my awareness in life have, have never seen anything but white supremacy um so for me as a person of color that's just constant always navigation of of this world that we live in so it's amazing because there are just so few people and i've been talking to um a bunch of well i should say a bunch a, a small handful of of athletes of asian descent and and they see so few out lgbtq athletes of asian descent and we see so few um lgbtq athletes of indigenous descent and and i can imagine having this sense of of almost feeling like you're this, you're this unicorn that just uh, with, with very few role models trying to oh, find a path for yourself. Yeah, no, you're so right, nailing it. Yeah, no, it, it it has sometimes felt that way. It also, in some regards, has felt super um, like almost 
my sexuality has always been an outlier in every community that I've been in, whether that's my indigenous community or uh, or sporting community or um, professional community or urban community or any community. So, uh, and then the the funny thing is, throughout my travels, I basically traveled from 16 to 24 or 25 pretty consistently, um, and. Uh, I remember going to gay bars in Barcelona and just kind of stopping off in the gay districts of, of different cities. And and uh, I didn't, I don't think I recognized it at the time, but now it's it's really kind of a sweet thing to think of. It was a global community that I felt a part of a little bit. Um, and I, as cheesy as, as it is, I would see the rainbow flag in the, the gay districts, quote unquote, in all these cities. And um, and I didn't have to think about race. I didn't have to think about like any kind of challenge. It's just all we're all outliers in that community. <laughs> so. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, I love traveling the world to different gay communities because it doesn't matter which gay community I go to, whether it's Boston or Fire Island or uh, Berlin or London. Uh, I always find my people. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> it all, you always, it's almost like you just have a, you always have a place to stop and have a drink and, and, and say <laughs> hi to somebody. Familiar, familiar vibes. Yeah. No, that's great. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you taking the time. Just quickly, what, what are you up to these days? Well, so currently I've been coaching, um, a team in Utah, so the Park City Snowboard team, for the last four years now, and um, and so, and then I've also been currently um, so I about okay sorry I'm I'll summarize the answer so I I work in Park City as a snowboard coach in the winter, and then I'm a uh, I work in the maritime industry in the San Francisco Bay in the summer, and I'm currently working towards a captain's license. Um, like a hundred ton captain's license, and uh, and then I I work right now as a deckhand on a couple different vessels in the bay. So so yeah, that's what I'm doing, and I have a I always have a few different projects going on. Um, I kind of travel back and forth to Alaska and um, and uh, do a lot kind of of engagement with nonprofits and stuff still. So I do a little bit of everything right now. You're a Renaissance woman. Mm, I ended up that way. I took <laughs> something, but, <laughs> but I, I, right I, now this is every, great. I, uh, oh, sorry. I try to end every podcast with the same couple of questions, so I'll, I'll ask you these. Um, oh, actually, wait, wait. I sorry to interrupt. I was just gonna say I don't know why I didn't tell you this. My big ten-year plan right now is to um, is to t- to eventually. Uh, acquire a vessel that I can sail around the world and not as like a any kind of specific like a accomplishment or anything but just just to kind of live on a boat and um, see where that takes me so that's my plan anyway I grew up in New England and a family of fishermen uh and I think you're crazy <laughs> ah, you're, well sailboat life is better than fishing life I'll tell you that <laughs> fishing that's a lot fishing is tough yeah um 
Uh, okay, the two questions I, I try to ask everybody. Number one, and, and, and if you don't have an answer for this one, it's, it's okay, because um, some people don't. Uh, are, you, are you familiar with The Lord of the Rings? I am, yes. Uh, well, the name of the podcast is Five Rings to Rule Them All, which is taken from a line in Lord of the Rings. And I always ask people uh, just to kind of share a, a character or a moment from Lord of the Rings that, that, that you really like. Ooh, I have a funny little anecdotal history with Lord of the Rings because I went to New Zealand pretty frequently for training. And um, it's the setting of where, or it's where the Lord of the Rings was filmed. And uh, I had this really, really weird thing where um, I don't remember which year it was, but one of my roommates, I was moving out of um, a place I was renting and randomly found this Lord of the Rings replica ring in like a corner of the room under the bed or something from some previous roommate. And um, I didn't think anything of it. I was just like, huh. And then I maybe put it in my bag or something on accident. And I went to New Zealand the next couple of days. And then we we're just laughing and joking about how, you know, this, this is where the Lord of the Rings was, was filmed. And I just remembered that I had the fucking, or sorry, excuse me. I had, I remembered that I had the ring in my pocket or in my backpack. Um, and so I ended up just taking it out and throwing it in the, uh, the Lake Wanaka there. So it's so cheesy, but that was kind of a silly funny Lord of the Rings you, you had you had your your golem moment I'm, I'm proud of you for being able to cross, <laughs> cross the ring into the lake very very good well done well it's still there maybe I always feel like maybe I have to go back <laughs> uh second question uh name for me an Olympian who has inspired you oh man I have a couple Olympians that have that have inspired me and it's funny because a lot of them later in life as an adult. Um, so there, there was definitely two Olympians I always looked up to from an early age. And that the one was Rosie Fletcher, who is an Alaskan Olympian that got a bronze medal in Torino. And, um, and then the other Olympian is Seth Westcott. And so he is on my team, longtime teammate. And for me, He's always been a hero of mine because he exemplifies, and I got a chance to see firsthand through traveling with him for 10 years, um, just really how he exemplifies the Olympic spirit and uh, truthfully is just the most humble and generous uh, champion that I've ever met, I think. Um, so, And Seth was actually kind enough to be on uh, the athlete ally uh, ESPN piece that we that we put together. The other Olympian that I have been extremely moved by was um, was my teammate Alex Diebold, who got the bronze medal in Sochi, or he might have gotten the silver medal. Uh, he'll probably not like that. I don't remember that, but uh, no, he got the silver medal in Sochi, and he. We've known each other as peers for a very, very long time. And recently in the last year, through the Black Lives Matter movement and um, politically through the past couple years with Trump, um, he has really used his voice and his platform as a white cis male and somebody that's 
so many people who look up to you um, on the surface and just really dug deep to talk about issues of race, issues of sexuality. Um, and for, for me, he's always been a, a real pillar um, to support me on issues of race and sexuality that I've experienced through my time on the team. So anyway, Alex Diebold, um, an Olympic snowboarder from Sochi, has just blown me away and will always be one of my biggest uh, idols now. <laughs> well, that's amazing. I'm 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 so happy that we got to catch up, and and I really appreciate you taking the time away. You can you can return to the boat and whatever you were busy with tending to. Cool. Thank you, Sid. Thank you for for inviting me. This has been fun. Really fun. You can find Callan on Instagram, where I found her at, and I just I just love her handle because it's so her. Uh, Callan the Great, C-A-L-L-A-N, the Great, all one word. Uh, it's always wonderful to to catch up with these athletes and hear about you know why they came out and and also just you know, talk about some some of these folks who were in and around the Sochi Games. Those stand out so much as as you know such an important moment for LGBTQ athletes and the community. Uh, thank you again for listening. Be sure to go follow Callan, and we'll be back next week with. More from Five Rings to Rule Them All.